0: Outside. Watching people drive by, t on the radio. Got so much on your mind, nothing's really going right. Looking for a ray of hope. Yeah!
1: Welcome to Mind Matters with counselor and author Rita Schulte and me, Richard Beatty. We're going to take a look at some of the cutting edge issues that are affecting you and the people around you. Consider how in this world, this mess called life affects your mind. To help stir things up, we're talking to some of the leading professionals in the Christian counseling and literary world, as well as hosting discussions with real people who are struggling with real life. Life issues. Now let's get going on this journey of the mind. Welcome to Mind Matters. My name is Richard Beatty, and for many years I have worked with the host of Mind Matters, Rita Scholte, a licensed counselor, a prolific author, and a great friend. Both Rita and I see the need for people to understand mental health issues and how just doing daily mind exercises can help our attitudes, our outlook, and help us define our purpose. I think it's important to know Rita Schulte's story. And so to begin our program, I'm going to begin our program with an interview I did with Rita and a very personal story of a tragedy that happened in her life. Rita chose the theme song that is sung by Mandisa, And the theme and the title of the song is Overcomer. Rita Schulte is an overcomer. Here's that interview. I read the book once, and now I'm reading it the second time. I I think because I know you, and I knew you then. Yeah, you met Mike. When, When I read about him and his... Is just his zest for life. It was hard to imagine, but, but then reading about that last six months of his life, uh, and and the paranoia that overtook him. Uh, and all of the things that did that uh, in, in really having this illness. That's kind of what we're going to talk about to that point. And then as we, uh, as we progress uh, in the interview, you know, mental health in America today. Uh, and yes. I think that's, you, you and I have hit on this a couple of times. You realize, you realize that we have an epidemic of, of uh, we have a mental health crisis in this country.
0: Oh, without question. Absolutely we do. It's it's so bad, and it's not going to get a whole lot better unless some things are done to increase awareness and change treatment strategies.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, a treatment strategies, and and you know, it's a part of it. For, as Christians, we can see it that it, it's just this denial of sin, uh, and uh, and calling sin sin, and behavior, and actually condoning not only condoning it. But endorsing and celebrating behaviors, and yeah. that's not a that's not an answer for a mental health crisis, not at all. And so though that's the kind of thing, and that's the kind of thesis that I am working with with them on and getting you to be the host and me the co-host. And I think it'd be a great Stay weekly show
0: at stop sign watching people drive by T-Mac on the radio so much on your mind, nothing's really going right, looking for a ray of hope, yeah!
1: Welcome to Mind Matters with counselor and author Rita Schulte and me, Richard Beatty. We're going to take a look at some of the cutting edge issues that are affecting you and the people around you. Consider how in this world, this mess called life affects your mind. To help stir things up, we're talking to some of the leading professionals in the Christian counseling and literary world, as well as hosting discussions with real people who are struggling with real life life issues now let's get going on this journey of the mind hello everyone it's richard Beatty crawford media in denver today i will be speaking with author and counselor rita schulte about mental health issues in our community and in america rita has a new book from Northfield Publishing, a sobering and yet uplifting book about surviving loss, the title, Surviving Suicide Loss, Making Your Way Beyond the Ruins. Rita Schulte, welcome to the program.
0: Thank you, Richard, for
1: having me. In November of 2013, you lost your husband to suicide. That's eight years ago. As a licensed counselor and author, How did you go from mourning and grief to becoming a survivor?
0: Well, it's a long and arduous journey. There are no easy ways around a loss by suicide because it's different than a normal death, right? It's unexpected. It's sudden. It's usually violent. And these factors increase the degree of shock and trauma experienced by survivors compared to other types of bereavement. And so survivors struggle sometimes for years. Uh, to make sense of what happened. It causes fundamental beliefs to be challenged. Uh, it carries stigma. It has many complex layers. And so there's a lot more around that loss for a person to deal with. Mm-hmm. Complicated grief is what therapists call it. And so for me, I I look at three areas and how that affected me. How, how did I make it through? Well, I had to understand the traumatized brain and how that affected me and my behavior and intervention strategies that helped me work through that. Of course, there's the guilt and shame, the complex trauma that I mentioned that adds more layers to it. And then there's this existential shattering that happens for people, which can translate into a crisis of belief and a crisis of faith. So all those, you know, why God questions you know, that survivors right. struggle with. Uh, We have to do some meaning-making around those, especially if we are carrying, you know, guilt and blame, as I was, right? Of course, every survivor has some kinds of regrets, but for me, I was drowning in that, literally. You know, I should have come back on the airplane with him. I should have done this. I should have done that. And it took a long time to work through all of that. So I think the key was my faith, and I think uh, there are pivotal points and pivotal people who helped you make the shift, for me, that looked like my daughter and my grandkids. There was um, an interaction that I had with my daughter four or five months out, and uh, I realized that I had to live, and I had to go on because I had kids, and I had my daughter had just had uh, her third baby wow. uh, a month after Mike took his life. So, uh, yeah, and we were expecting, my son was expecting another child the following year. So, yeah, there was a lot that I had to live for. And so I think those factors help make the shift for people. Mm -hmm.
1: Who was Michael Schulte, a dentist by trade, full of life, a good and loving man and a generous person is what you you say in the book, and and mm-hmm. I've I've met him. I I felt the same way, <laughs> uh, and I just I just met him briefly, but uh, he was so full of life. You have said that he leaves a big legacy. Pro life, ministry activist, a missionary. What happened?
0: Mental illness. I mean, that's that's the difficult thing with uh, a loss by suicide too. I mean. It, there's a lot of unfinished business there. Uh, I love this quote. I think I put it in the book by Edwin Schneedman. He was a prominent suicidologist way back 1940s and beyond. But he said, the person who commits suicide puts all their psychological skeletons in the survivor's emotional closet. Basically, sent- sentencing the survivor to deal with a lot of negative feelings and to become obsessed with thoughts regarding their own actual or possible role in having caused the suicidal act or having failed to abort it. And so all of that kind of dumped on the survivor as they try to dig their way out of this black hole of not understanding really what did happen. Because, you know, Mike tried to take his life on several occasions when I was with him, but one night he laid next to me, Richard, in the bed and he said, I could never... Go through with it, really, because yeah. I could never live without you, and I could never leave you with such a mess. And my mistake was believing him. Right. I mean, he was. But he became. You know, the more time went on, especially the last three months, more and more paranoia, uh, and it was just really out of control. And he felt uh, this perceived sense of burdensomeness and some thwarted sense of belonging. Which I talk about in the book to help dissuade people with some of this guilt. Like, what's driving this person? You've got everything, right? His psychiatrist even said who was a colleague and friend of mine. Mike wants to live. Yeah. So it was pretty much of a shock to everyone.
1: And but at the same time, you you're seeing the signs that that last three months, as you say, mm-hmm. uh, and it was a it was really a six month struggle, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, you knew the yeah. symptoms and and you saw the paranoia and then there there were times yes that he you could see that his will to survive and live it it stopped him from really carrying through and then so was it mental illness then fueled by paranoia that finally overcame his, yeah, it, his will
0: it really begins to, to change the chemical process in the brain yeah but, you know, that's what made it so hard for me as a therapist. I mean, right, I'm the counselor. Why couldn't I have stopped it, right? The sense of powerlessness. I can't even prevent my own husband from taking his life. And so all this fuels, you know, the need for more answers, only there's never a good enough answer, right? right. So we keep going round and around on this, this wheel where we never get any closure. And so the whole thing becomes, you know, I have to make some kind of meaning out of this. And I think at the end of the day, I mean, even my son son and my daughter-in-law had dinner with Mike the night before, and Michael told me, Mom, Dad didn't think he was ever going to get better. He was just going, because he was supposed to leave and go to a treatment center the next day, and I was going to join him. And uh, he's just going to please you. And so that's so sad, you know? And I think that's what a lot of people feel that struggle with this stuff, like, I'm never going to get better, which we know is a lie. There's there's plenty of things out there now that we know, oceans and oceans of research, but we have to have the tools to navigate our loved one along that journey, right? And and for me, I mean, I was over my head with this because my areas of expertise were eating disorders and anxiety. Right? I wasn't, right. I didn't know anything about suicide. Yeah. It wasn't my trauma. I didn't know. So I was able to come to see that after time and and hold myself, uh, you know, with some self-compassion, but it took a long time to get there.
1: In so many ways, our culture is dealing with lingering mental illness, as you say in your book. Post-traumatic stress syndrome can overcome any of us at a moment's notice. Fear and anxiety are at epidemic level right now. What do you What do you do when those feelings overwhelm you? And how do we deal with the undertow? of denial, escapism, anger, and depression that pulls us away from our better selves and paralyzes us.
0: Yeah, I think the first step, Richard, is we have to notice it. Yeah. Right? I mean, I think everybody's kind of noticed it over this last year and a half with COVID. Yeah. And this whole idea at the beginning, well, we're all in this together, I mean, that was fine, but after a while, that kind of doesn't solve the problem. Uh, So for me... I think noticing is the first key step, and if I'm noticing that I'm in trouble mentally, then I want to seek out some help, and that could be having significant people walking alongside of me because research is very robust in terms of when we're struggling with mental health issue, people walking alongside of us is a key ingredient to healing, but if that's not enough, then we need to seek professional help, and oftentimes stigma prevents folks from doing that. So this whole idea of trying to destigmatize mental illness is really uh, a big part of you know, my passion. And I know many others out there, the media is picking up on it. We're, we're talking a lot more about this because, you know, people become filled with shame. Uh, they feel, you know, they have to isolate themselves. Uh, there's a lot of things going on that hinder help-seeking behavior. And so that's not good. If you need help... Everybody hits a wall sometimes, and there's no shame in getting help when we're struggling.
1: Yeah, good word there. Uh, you've remarried, you have uh, yes. moved forward, and, and you've mapped out a life of helping and serving. How can that person that's hearing this message right now move on from a culture of death, loss and grief, into crossing that bridge to life, gain, and joy?
0: Yeah, I think we have to address all these core issues that are attached to the suicide, and that's one of my big, you know, go-tos when I work with a a client who's experienced a traumatic loss. Like, what meaning did you attach to it? And that can be, you know, all of these uh, unfinished questions. It could be crisis of faith, the existential shattering, all of these things we have to uh, have answers on some level, like we're not going to have all the answers with a suicide, because as I said, there's a lot of unfinished business. But we have to make some type of coherent narrative that we tell ourselves. And then I think we just we have to really build this muscle of resilience. I mean, I when I wrote my first book, Shatter, I, I was real interested in that question. You know, what makes some people be able to go through adversity, tremendous adversity and bounce back with their faith intact? And other people lose the battle for their hearts with lesser adversities. And so I think this whole idea of resilience, people see it as, well, I either have it or I don't. Oh, I'm not a resilient person like that. But that's not true. Everybody can build resiliency. It can be learned and it can be taught. And so I'm always asking, you know, later on in the process, obviously, for a client, what would a story of resilience look like? And I'm I'm looking for people's strengths and the potential for resiliency very early on in the therapeutic process because I want them to feel that sense of safety with me as well as resource people in their larger community. And so I want to always be looking what's right with the client, not what's wrong, so that we can build on those strengths and they can begin to own those strengths. So here's what happened. Here's me facing this. And here's what needs to happen next. So in other words, what builds my capacity and what hinders my capacity? when i'm trying to move through this life-shattering event and those are baby steps at first and then as time goes on i can i can take bigger risks and that's what you have to do in order to move forward Hmm.
1: so where can people get surviving suicide loss and how do they get in touch
0: So they can definitely get it on my website, RitaSchulte.com. It's available on Amazon. Uh, They can contact me through my website. Uh, My story's on there. My website has lots and lots of help, blogs, uh, podcasts that I did previously. And uh, reach out for counseling if they feel like uh, they need that. Yeah,
1: that's great. Rita Schulte, author, counselor.
0: Thank you for having me, Richard. It was uh, a privilege. Thanks for being concerned about this most necessary topic.
1: Well, you're a good friend and you have been for years and I I appreciate that too. Hey, thanks for writing this book. I think it's uh I, I know it it had to be it had to be gut wrenching and yeah. but but therapeutic yeah. in the same way. And um you're such a good writer and uh Thank I, you Richard. I think that you, means a lot. You communicate so well and um I'm, I'm looking forward to, as I always have been, <laughs> working with you. It's been great. It's been, I know. It's been I wanted great. to partner with something. We've
0: got to. We're good together. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, this is an important topic, and then it's also, I I think the whole mental health issue right now is, it's, it's got to, so somebody's yeah. got to do it, right?
0: Amen. Staring at a stop sign, watching people drive by, t on the radio. So much on your mind, nothing's really going right. Looking for a ray of hope.
1: Welcome to Mind Matters with counselor and author Rita Schulte and me, Richard Beatty. We're going to take a look at some of the cutting edge issues that are affecting you and the people around you. Consider how in this world, this mess called life affects your mind. To help stir things up, we're talking to some of the leading professionals in the Christian counseling and literary world, as well as hosting discussions with real people who are struggling with real Life issues. Now let's get going on this journey of the mind.
2: Consider this as a feature from counselor and author Rita Schulte, who speaks on matters of the heart.
3: Think about the worst betrayal you've experienced. Close your eyes and recall the pain. Now imagine you have to experience that pain every day for the rest of your life, and you have to do it with love. You're probably thinking, no way, I wouldn't do it, I couldn't do it but that's what God does. Okay, but he's God, you might be thinking. He's supposed to love unconditionally. You're right, and he does. Over and over, he demonstrates his faithfulness to us in spite of our rebellion, just as he did with Israel. He does it to paint a picture of his heart toward us. Don't get me wrong, he was angry at Israel's betrayal. But consider this, here in this story, as always, mercy is remembered in the midst of wrath. Rejection of his children is not an option. God never leaves for a better offer. His love is unfailing, and His mercies are new every morning.
2: To listen to Rita's podcast, Heartline, or to join her blog, go to siftedasweet.com. That's siftedasweet.com. Consider this as a feature from counselor and author Rita Schulte, who speaks on matters of the heart.
3: Why is surrender so difficult? The obvious reason is we want control. But consider this. Control means we're demanding a right of some kind that says, I must have things a certain way in order for me to be okay. The problem is people and God don't always cooperate in ways that fulfill our agendas. Our willingness to surrender our rights is directly tied to our belief about who's best equipped to decide about our lives, God or us. Surrender begins with an attitude that says, I'm willing, Lord, do with me as you will. Jesus committed the ultimate act of surrender when he forfeited his place as God and went to the cross. He was willing to be rejected and misunderstood. When we're not willing to walk in surrender, we use control to achieve the set outcomes we so desperately desire. The question is, how's it working for you?
2: To listen to Rita's podcast, Heartline, or to join her blog, go to siftedasweet.com. That's siftedasweet.com. Consider this as a feature from counselor and author Rita Schulte, who speaks on matters of the heart.
3: Psalm 19 says, what a man desires is unfailing love. Psalm 20 goes on to say, but who can find it? How many of us today can honestly say we found unfailing love in anyone? Even those who love us the most often let us down or hurt us. I think what Jesus is trying to say over and over through Scripture is that His love is the only love that was designed to satisfy the deepest longings of our hearts. It permeates all the dry and empty places in our souls and fills us with all the fullness of God. How can God fill us in this way? Because he's the only one who's full and complete. And it's through our union with him that he gives us everything we need for life. So consider this. You don't have to get it right or be perfect before you can come to God and partake of this unfailing love. It's there for the asking.
2: To listen to Rita's podcast, Heartline, or to join her blog, go to siftedasweet.com. That's siftedasweet.com.